right, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Shooting Time Podcast. Thanks for joining in. I got, again, with me, Ryan and Bill, the usual suspects. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on, ma'am? How's everybody doing? Nothing. Uh, just sitting here, uh, wishing I was outside, actually. like Normally, I'm super excited to be doing this, but I don't think I could have found a better weather day right now, and I was sitting on my porch for a couple hours. Right around dinner and actually trying to do a little work out there, and it's just the perfect day. So yeah, the humidity the dropped like? out. It's yeah. yeah, no humidity. It's like seventy-five degrees. Oh humidity. man, it's awesome. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's not like that down here, right? Oh, like, I'm even. Yeah, it was like one hundred five, one hundred six today with the heat index. <laughs> so, no. but last week was beautiful, man. It was great outside. Like we had like four uh, days. See, we had heat. We had heat last week too. Over the weekend, it was nasty. Like oh, yesterday. Shit, yesterday was like 95 or 97 degrees here and like just the worst humidity I've ever seen. And then crazy storm rolled oh, through the night. Oh, boy, got, did it ever. Rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, I woke up this morning and it was beautiful out. So it was really nice. We were, guys- I was still in a swamp this morning here in Minnesota, but uh, as the day went on, all of our humidity dropped out. And I even, I'm looking real quick on my phone uh tonight or should say early tomorrow morning it's going to be 54 degrees here oh, oh wow. yeah you know we should check somewhere like uh devil's lake like see what devil's lake temperature will be tonight Bill. yeah let me look here give me a second just have to like have that queued right up <sighs> disappointed i usually oh, i do i do have it queued up that's what i'm saying oh, you're good yeah uh, give me one second here did you guys see those did you guys see those storms that went through I don't no. think they. I don't think they went as Iowa? good as Bill, but yeah, the 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 the, the Iowa. That's the same storm that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the same storms that got us both. Oh, is it okay? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't as strong when it's they, they they developed over me and started right over me, kind of, and then yeah. moved into Iowa. Yeah, yeah last that's night. Only. Last night and this morning was one of those like, what do you call it? like quintessential summer stormy evenings too, like lots of thunder, electricity, the fun stuff. Ooh, I yeah, like crazy that. Crazy I do too. I was just saying, um, I was just thinking to myself last night because they were saying, "Oh, you might get some storms in the area." I'm like, well, whatever. We never get storms anymore. It's literally been over two years since we've had an actual thunderstorm here. What? And really? I'm not kidding. I swear, I've barely heard thunder like a lot. I mean, I've heard like a little bit in the distance. But I haven't had a real thunderstorm here in over two years. You must be hanging out in your basement too much. I call BS on that. Dude, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm not shitting you. I have not heard. There's been like an occasional like distant lightning strike. But Man, here I don't at ju- my house, we haven't had one. I saw the weather last years. week or like, I mean, obviously it was obviously not near you. But man, last week somewhere there was like. There was like big storms in South Dakota somewhere, or maybe it was maybe it was southern no, North Dakota or something. But. No, I was well, southern, northern South Dakota and southern North Dakota have been getting a ton of rain. Yeah, we just it just hasn't hit us here very much. But the last week we've gotten some, but yeah, we just don't get the lightning. And I love lightning storms. And oh, yeah, we get it a, here, man. <laughs> I know we get I, it well, here. Trust, well, it's the same stuff that starts like 10 miles east of me and then builds all the way across Minnesota. And then you get it. And mm-hmm. I, I get nothing. So trust me. I know that you guys get it, but we don't. Have you all so ever heard? Nice. I, go ahead. Have you all ever heard the theory that, you know, storms break up over rivers and stuff? I've seen it happen. You'll see it on the Missouri River. 
Really? Well, like, watch it. it. Or or they start at the Missouri River. Well, here's both. Here, I've here's seen both. The funny here's the funny part about like you know here where I live, you know, thirty miles straight west of us, you know, is the Boot Hill, southeast Missouri. You know, like in which is just tornado alley, severe storms, low ground, just low ground, and like you know, it's like, and you can watch these storms like on the radar, and they. Not always will, will completely peter out, but they'll they'll lose strength when they yeah. as soon as they cross the river. Then you you know, like say about thirty miles east of the Mississippi River where I'm at, like I mean, obviously we'll get storms. And a couple years ago we had a tornado, but like it's crazy how these storms when they get to the river they die out. Then once they get back into Kentucky and starting to build strength as they head east, you know, like when they get a little bit east of us is when the the Severity of the tornadoes and all that usually crank up. Hmm. I, I, yeah, say, that's, you know, I totally, I've seen it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I can literally watch storms come and they'll fall apart just at the river. Um, kind of by where you were talking about where you dove hunt, Ryan, down in that Lake Andes area. That, yeah. that area, you'll, they'll lose them a lot. Sometimes they build over it, but I mean, a lot of times they fall apart right there. So, so yeah, I've seen it. They say there's no it's science kind of, to it, but like, I mean, but... I mean, it's it, gotta be like cooler air or something. There's something, because I don't know. It's way more than coincidence. I know that. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely not just like random happened to fall apart at that line every time. Yeah. So, hmm. no, but that was nice. It, it cooled us down. And so, yeah, I'm saying I forgot to leave my air conditioner on in my garage. So she's a little warm in here right now with, with the afternoon sun beating on it. But yeah, it's, it's bearable. So. <laughs> I got a, got myself a big glass of water and a small glass of beer, so <laughs> get me through get me through the next little while here. Can't go wrong with that. So I yeah. wanted to talk about this in the last podcast and just kind of forgot. But um, did you guys see that I finally found some mushrooms, some wild mushrooms? I did. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I, did. I was pretty proud of that. Just got out in the woods, bared the bugs a little bit, and I found uh, chicken of the woods. Um, which I found before and they have like the texture of chicken kind of is what's funny about them. They're a big orange fruiting, large shelf mushroom. If you were to, so I've never picked them or eaten them, but if you were to just see, I've seen them. Mm -hmm. If you were to be walking through the woods and not really know anything about mushrooms, (laughs) you would think for sure, without a doubt. That that was not a safe mushroom <laughs> yeah. because of the color is like super vibrant. It's got mm-hmm. funky shapes, mm-hmm. super orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's easy to spot. That's why I was saying I was trying to find them with binoculars from my truck. But yeah. anyway, I just got out in the woods, bared it. Plus, we know we've cooled down a little bit, so the mosquitoes are. As long as you keep moving, you know you're okay now. Mm-hmm. anyway yeah i got out in the woods and found that's the biggest patch of them i've ever found and that's kind of the problem with wild mushrooms sometimes when you find them it's so many you can't you know of course eat everything but yeah. what i did you don't dare tell anybody else that they're there no 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 no, no. <laughs> no. you'd rather have them rot on the tree than give them to someone else so they can come and get them later on <laughs> Basically, <right? laughs> i wonder what the thought process was the the guy that the first guy or gal to ever eat a chicken of the woods. Yeah. Like, cause yeah. You, sh- you showed me that picture of that in which I like mushrooms, but, and I would, you know, definitely 
eat it. But like, if I didn't know it was edible, I would not think like, man, you know, I would feel like you were like, again, in the ancient time, like in the 1500s and the King brought you in and, uh, had three, (laughs) three shot glasses on the, on chalices on the table in front of you and said, um, you know, we think you're a witch. If you can drink the right one that doesn't have the, (laughs) what's that? What's that? thing that they used to poison people with god dang it it's a chemical they put in cyanide whatever yeah say cyanide it's not cyanide but okay. whatever yeah and have that in two of them and you have to pick the one i mean that's what you'd feel like eating a random mushroom mushroom like mm-hmm. that you know yeah and I, I wonder too if people always like i don't know i don't know we're getting into stuff i don't know but if people viewed mushrooms in the beginning as what you should or should not eat i don't know that's what that's kind of like what Ryan's saying is how would you know like, right starting off like the first person be kind of scared yeah, for I, I mean, a while. my luck if I'd have been the first person I mean it would have definitely been a poisonous one not <laughs> yeah but, not good well lucky for me this one wasn't wasn't poisonous and and what I did this time that was super fun um was uh deep fried them for the first time because that mushroom you saw what it looked like it has an identical texture to chicken breast, like like creepy. It's so similar, oh. and hence the name Chicken of the Woods. Really? And I've always just like sautéed it. I put it on pizzas. I've I've more or less just like tried them, and I never dove into really trying to eat them. And that's like why I'm getting into mushroom hunting so much is particularly for the eating part of it. And this that mushroom kind of has a reputation of having. You know, the texture of chicken, but not the most appetizing, you know? And that's what I thought of them until this time. I just did a basic, like, chicken fry where I whipped up eggs and and uh, seasoned the eggs, little hot tip, um, and then put the pieces of this mushroom in that and then did a flour dredge and, and just fried them in oil. And uh, to anyone that's listening that finds these, do that because I would way rather have a mushroom fry than a fish fry any day after eating them that way. Hmm. I'm I'm kind of hoping like when I hang out, whether it be like with you guys or other hunters this fall, because they'll keep coming up this fall that like I could get together with a bunch of my hunting buddies and do like a big mushroom fry that way. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. get some fish and some mushrooms mm-hmm. that's what Maybe i'm thinking little, too and like yeah. if you have that bag of fish right that you're not quite sure Turkey if it's breast. if it's enough for everyone like add mm-hmm. mushrooms to it and uh, that bring some turkey i'll bring some turkey over mm-hmm. we don't get to have the crawfish boils <laughs> hey speaking of are you guys still gonna do that yeah the 19th of september ah that's right right when i'm gone be elk hunting you know, God, dang it. seafood boil. I've always wanted to do one here at the pizza farm. And we're finally, I'm working with an actual chef that's trained. Um, I don't know if I would say trained in new Orleans, but his background is Cajun and Creole cooking. And that's cool. But I don't know if you need that much expertise to, do a crawfish <laughs> boil, to be honest. I've been involved in several of them and it didn't seem real complicated from what I saw. Mm-hmm. It involved a pot, some water, a fire, and the, some uh who, oh what's the sauce what's the sauce the the green and green and white bottle that you dump a lot of that in and then stick some potatoes and other crawfish and sausage in and go to town and corn mm-hmm. and we'll have the sweet corn for that date too is the cool thing that's right 
seem to be the complexity level that I saw, but there might be more intricacies involved. I think there is. Okay. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah. I will. So can you, I can't, I'm not going to complain. I'll be in a, doing a fun thing too, but mm-hmm. like the crawfish in Minnesota, I mean, like shipping them in from somewhere. Or? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out right now. I want to get them shipped like fresh ones shipped up from Louisiana, but, um, don't think they're going to be in season in September, mid-September. Um, so it might just be a seafood boil, primarily consisting of shrimp and then, you know, the sausage. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and then we're going to get some oysters shipped up, too. And in my pizza ovens, we're going to try the, uh, is it char-broiled or char-grilled? Or we'll call them fire-roasted oysters, you know, where you add the cheese and the water Ooh, to them. Yeah, hey, those are so good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we just kind of want to do like a whole... Cajun seafood meal. We're working on finding a band too for that style of music. A little Zydeco. Mm-hmm. Hoping so, but that's kind of hard to find up here in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yeah, not exactly plentiful. I saw there was a Zydeco band at the Minnesota Zoo one year that I got to see. Oh, really? <laughs> Buckwheat Zydeco. Oh. They were up to it. was probably one of the more fun concerts I've ever seen. Well, maybe I can tear it up. Maybe I'll have to I'll reach put, out to I'll Buckwheat. Put, I'll put oil. Well, they're from they're from Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Right? I put oysters in that same category as who in the hell tried those first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thing that's growing on the side of a boat dock. <laughs> uh, they are good though. Oh, damn good. I just you know to, you know to, I'm the pickiest fat guy you've ever met in your life. <laughs> but like, oh, I just you know I'm I'm sure they are, but to me they just looks like somebody hawked up a loogie and. You know, and eating it. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I especially, I've done the raw ones, but I do like the fried. Do you like with the, the cheese and all that? That's yeah, it's fried. That's that's, that's the ticket. Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're not fried. It's not like you're eating like they're a baked, fried fish. Um, baked, yeah, baked or grilled. That's good. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Throw Those are in the shell. Throw anything in oil with flour. I mean, it's. Got that in Tabasco. And that, I think that's why the chicken in the yeah. woods were so damn good because they were fried. And yeah. as they say, you can fry a dog turd and it tastes good. So yeah. I would taste like I whatever would, seasoning you put on it. I would be all about the, the mushrooms, though. But I'll tell oh, you they tasted just like chicken tenders, like identical. Yeah, but like, yeah. stuff I stir clear is the sushi type shit. Oh, man. Yeah. Sushi's good. Mm-hmm. Love it. Ugh. Love it. I just had, had it twice last week. Real deal. <laughs> Some good old South Dakota sushi. You can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I gotta run. I gotta run with what I got. Yeah. I don't. I can't go to the coast weekly to get sushi. So I gotta have South Dakota sushi. It's better than no sushi. Yeah. Some, Some Missouri so. River gar. No, no, it's a real tuna and oh, eel and whatever else. Through <clears throat> a few kinds of tuna and salmon and all that, but. Yeah, uh, make a Tabasco sauce for me to eat that. It's so good. Everybody, everybody says that until they have it, and once you have it, you're hooked. And the thing is, like, I, I don't. I'm very texture sensitive. Like, you know, if, like I mean, me too. Uh, no crunchy. I forgot about. <laughs> I, I you guys that suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I can't do you anything know. soft and mushy. Like, you know, like I can eat sauce and all that, but like, I'm not eating a tomato, like a raw tomato, and I don't know. I'm. Just, I'm very, very sensitive and picky about what I eat. But I remember that how you don't eat anything crunchy. That is like 
I like crunchy, just not mixed in with soft things. <laughs> so no, no cucumber in your sushi rolls, then, correct? Um, I'll have it, yeah, just because it's part of it. Okay. I, no, no onions. If you put onions in there, I would. Puke. I don't put onions in sushi. I don't think. So what is some other crunchy know, stuff but... that you steal it away from? What's that? I said, what are no, some? Well, the main, the main culprits are uncooked onions, uh, green onions, the red onions, which are really nasty. <laughs> and then uh, celery, celery is something. Yeah, I can't do that. Um, nuts in any kind of like a cake or a brownie. Like I like nuts on their own, but I don't like them in that kind of stuff. Ooh. Those are the main, the main things. Yeah. You can keep it out of that. I'm good to go. You guys, are- and I'll, I'll eat it like if I have to, but I don't, I don't love it. You guys yeah. are killing me. I like everything. Yeah, see, yeah. I don't. I'm getting better. No, that's yeah. all right. I that's like right. pretty much. I like pretty much anything with anything on it. I even like peppers, which I used to hate. But um, yeah, onions and celery are where I draw the line, and and when they're mixed into non-crunchy things. But I used to not love mushrooms, but I do like all kinds of mushrooms now. And like mushrooms are one of the things that I feel like I need to learn about to kind of become a little bit better, like a like a well-rounded woodsman type deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're entirely different. I have friends that claim they don't like mushrooms either, and then I give them some maitakis or these chicken of the woods fried, or or you know even morels. Well, morels maybe a poor example because they're kind of a, a slimy mushroom. But oysters and lion's mane and all this, and and when I have some of my friends try this, they change their opinion on mushrooms altogether. Yeah, it's just good, and I think just knowing that kind of stuff, like it's one of those cool things about learning how to identify different plants and mm-hmm. bird calls and tracks like it just makes you like a better woodsman and a better outdoorsman in general mm-hmm. yeah, which so. i'm trying to work on all the time yeah i used to not care but now i, I mean now lately last 10 years i've really something i've tried to get better at so which kind of brings us into what i think um we're going to talk mainly about today is what does it take to be just a well-rounded waterfowler. Um, when I say waterfowler, I kind of use that term as like an all-encompassing term of all things duck, goose, um, all basically all waterfowl species hunting rather than just duck hunting or just goose hunting or, you know, the particulars of some of that. But what does it take to be well-versed as a kind of a well-to-do all-around? Would you almost say like a complete waterfowler? Yeah, a complete waterfowler, mm-hmm. well-rounded, complete, somewhere there. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of duck hunting and goose hunting and seen a lot of places and done different styles. But, man, like, when I think about all the different things that are out there, like, there's still a lot of stuff that I I don't know about and haven't done or haven't experienced. So um, I think some of that stuff is kind of cool and interesting to learn about. and. Mm-hmm. So, so do you, you kind of start so thinking you, you're hot yeah. shit and you realize, well, wait a minute, there's people who don't do this every day and I wouldn't even know the first place to begin. Mm-hmm. What are you yeah. saying, Ryan? Yeah, I say, um, so I was going to say, so like, in your opinion, do you think that, you know, like to be a well-rounded waterfowler, like you've got to, you know, say travel the world, travel the country, or could, uh, could a, a local hunter you know, stay and hunt behind his house. Could he be a considered to be an art waterfowler? Well, I think those are two different things. 
I think like an ardent or hardcore waterfowler is maybe different than um, someone that's super well-rounded. I mean, for the purpose of this discussion, I would say well-rounded is what we were discussing. Yeah. Um, you know, on someone, if they, if a guy had a little box blind on a one acre pond behind his house and he went and hunted that every single day, no matter the weather, no matter whether it was ducks or not, I'd say he's pretty hardcore, mm-hmm. but he's not very well-rounded. But like he's he not really exactly. Dropped. Yeah. Yeah. So they're two different things. Yeah. But, um, but to Ryan's point, you could be in a position to travel the world and you still may never become a well-rounded or a complete oh, waterfowler. There's, there's multiple personalities in the hunting world that exhibit that. I think that, I mean, if you take a, if you're on a guided trip your whole life, that's not, I mean, not that you don't learn, you're going to pick stuff up, mm-hmm. but it's different than having done the things on your own and, and gone on these trips and truly, um, you know, kind of dove in head first on your own, but I don't know. I, you're going to, you're going to learn stuff. I mean, Ryan's done a bunch of trips where you go hunt with people and like, and you learn, you know, like you said, you hunted Louisiana with different people. I mean, you learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, there about exactly. I mean, um, you know, just this past season, like, you know, up, up until, you know, December of last year, you know, I mean, I've hunted all over Canada and, you know, and up and down the, the central and Mississippi flyways. Um, and I've hunted the Atlantic flyway, but I'd never been out on the West coast and hunt the Pacific flyway. You know, so, I mean, really, other than, like, sea duck hunting, you know, I kind of thought I'd, you know, I'd, you know, there, there wasn't much that I hadn't done. Then I go out to California and, you know, and just, and where I was at, you know, they just do things very different than how we do here. So it was like, it was neat to see and, you know, how the, how they do that, you know, in different parts of the country. So, I mean, um, whether I agreed with like the, how they did everything or, or, or not is, is not the point, but like, you know, I, um, but you know, I learned that, you know, there's different ways to do things to, and, and still be successful. Yeah. It just goes to show that, you know, no matter how much we think we know, there's just, there's still a ton more. And there's people oh, absolutely. Who, who will, who will always know more about some part of it than, you know, I will, or the next guy, I mean, whatever. I mean, I mean kind of goes, I mean, when I was, I mean, Christ, when I was 16 years old, if you'd have told me, you know, asked who's the best duck hunter, well, it would have been me and my dad. You know, we were the best duck hunters. No one else killed them like we did or called like we did. I mean, mm-hmm. that was what was in your head. And you didn't know what was out there for the rest of the world. So I just think it's kind of funny that we always want to be the best. But I think as you, as you like, start to experience and see some of these other things out there. It's cool to know um, what else there is. What so. to work towards. Yeah. Things to work. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you don't even necessarily need, I don't know that you need to. I mean, I don't know that you know, I, there's a lot of these things that we'll probably talk about that I don't necessarily want to do. I don't really have a big desire to do them, but you know, they're all parts of, of water, of the waterfalling culture mm-hmm. and experience. And there's people that spend a lot of time doing those. You know, they may have no desire to do some of the things I do. Yeah. I mean, for one, you know, an example, like another thing that I still haven't done. I mean, I'd love to go to hunt the, you know, the big waters in um, South Texas for the redheads and stuff like that. Like, yeah, and, you know, just to learn how, you know, just to learn how those, how, how those guys hunt and how they do it. You mm-hmm. know, the processes that right. they do and because it's completely, completely different than what I do day in and day out. 
yeah, compared to like what I would do back like hunting on the moon. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're probably in 70 degrees every day and probably, you know, alligators and I mean, all sorts of stuff. So it's just completely different. Yep. Yeah. I think that's kind of stuff is neat. And I mean, when I think of, when I think of this, cause and maybe one reason I even, I even ever think about this at all is because the way that duck hunting used to be was a hundred percent water-based goose hunting was a lot field-based mm-hmm. and now it's switched to where both goose and duck hunting and especially in the upper Midwest and the central Midwest are so field-based that there's guys that hunt like crazy. I mean, they're super hardcore. I wouldn't say they're not. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, but they probably have rarely put waders on or set foot in a boat. So I think it's just different. And I always think of that as I'm, as I'm talking to people or you read stories about someone or you know, whatever. And um, I think some of there's a lot of things that a person should know know of or know about or have experience to really be kind of well rounded. And I mean, the first thing that I can think of, and I don't mean Bill talk about this, but this is always I've talked about it on my Instagram before, but it's uh, very simple. It's it's a technique you have to learn, but knowing how to push pull a boat. Oh, absolutely, is, like, is one of the the basics. I think. You should know how to do because it's traditional, mm-hmm. effective, and it means that you've been in, means you've, hunt, you've hunted out of small boats mm-hmm. in shallow water areas <clears throat> that you wouldn't be able to hunt out of with other stuff. So it's one of those things yeah. you have to learn to do, and I like it. I mean, I've had mornings where I felt like um, like I was cut right out of a dang like old field and stream catalog rowing across a, a marsh through the cattails, you know, you're, as you're going, you're pushing cattails and bull rushes aside with the bow of the, of my little two point boat and you're kicking ducks out and you're just push pulling away kind of pretty silently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought that was like one of the cooler, cooler skills that I have as a duck hunter. Yeah. And that's something like, until you said that, like, you know, I don't know that I would have ever have thought about that of including in my skills of, being a waterfowler, but I mean, I love, um, push polling and, and we have to do it, you know, we do it quite often, you know, but it's just something that I don't ever think about. I just grab the push pole and go to the bow of the boat. <laughs> yeah. And go. Yeah. Yep. But I guess you could probably tell somebody that has never done it. If they grab the push pole and they go to the, the back of the boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Well, we push, I push pole from the back. Oh, do you really? Yeah, on my little boats for sure. Yeah, what well, I'd say, I mean, I'm we're doing this mainly out of bigger boats, like just yeah. But um, like out of like the little boats, like the back is what you got to do, otherwise you kind of spin yourself around. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. I stopped, I'm talking two different size boats. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. No, those are. That's just one of those little things. But um. That I'm glad I know. I'm glad I know how to do over the years, and really kind of learned it. Man, like kind of when I started duck hunting, yeah. almost once I could get in the boat and do something on my own. You know, one of the things the first time the first time I learned it was the first time I was I had oars, and you hit um, two inches of water and you can't oar anymore, and you say, mm-hmm. "Well, either we're stopped or we're doing this." So mm-hmm. learned it through necessity. That's for sure. How you and I came up, Phil, was muddy marshes, small boats, and push poles and oars. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, we never had motors for that. Was it for one? We didn't have motors between us, but you couldn't run them on most of the stuff we hunted. Right. So we we rode and we push pulled like mad. And man, I, grew, I, I mean, I cut my teeth duck hunting out of a you know eighteen foot canoe. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So and you're on the in the the swamp and the marsh that we hunted. You know, you could have no motorized devices. You know, we yep, didn't. That's what we, we, were didn't doing a lot we didn't keep push poles in the canoe just because of room, but like, you know. I'll tell you there forever, like, you know, I would have thought you could put me and my buddy Doug in the Olympics, you know, because, I mean, <laughs> that, that's a skill is to learn how to canoe paddling, canoe mm-hmm. paddling. It really is. Because, I mean, we would paddle, I don't know, probably a mile and a half or two, you yep. know, with all the decoys and all of our gear and all that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you're not in sequence, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you'll sit and you'll, you'll not go that's anywhere or spin in circles. So if um, you really want to know how much of a, skill it is paddle a canoe on your own yeah that's oh yeah the real son of a gun yeah. two people is tough enough yeah one is like if you can get that down really well you're doing pretty good yeah we would do that sometimes too because there was an area that like if we pulled up and there was another vehicle there you know um there wasn't too many per- preferred spots so but there was a point you could walk out on and so we'd drop somebody out and have them walk to the point and throw all the gear in the boat and flip a coin to see who paddled it out. But yeah, I've paddled myself out many a time. Just try to get some weight in front of the boat. And that's the key. Or, or I'm sorry, oh, yeah. get some weight in front of the canoe and, and let her eat. Yeah. Funny. So cool. That's kind of my, that would be if my, if I could say you had to have one thing, I think that might be one of them. That might be one of my top, top ones. I think one of my top ones would be since we're on boats, is being able to back a boat. We mean boat and trailer. Run. Yeah, being able yeah. to back a boat yep. and trailer. I got to cross that one off my list because that's a basic. <laughs> yeah, or boat or boat or or any kind of trailer. Yeah. Yeah, and just and that and just um, knowing how to run an outboard. You know, knowing how to. You know, knowing how to. Boat motors. Yeah. I have boat motor running. How to run boat motors? Backing up a trailer, I think, is very indicative of how how well or how experienced you are because you don't just learn it overnight as no. as you all everyone has the one friend that you can attest to if they haven't done it much they're not going to be good at it yeah and, but once you've done it 50 times magically you're good at it and especially when you do it in the dark down a mm-hmm. crappy little minimum maintenance road in the middle of south dakota and dump a boat into a road dish you you become a lot better real quick yeah that kind of and i'll tell you on this subject like you know i've always been able to back you know since i was a little kid you know i grew up in a racing family we always had large yep. trailers so my dad taught me how to back but the thing that i watched my dad do that was the worst thing i ever did was looking behind me mm-hmm. you know because yeah or he just always looked he just always looked over his right shoulder when yeah. he packed because well because back in the days like you know, like we, we didn't have toppers and, you know, and we yep. had like big enclosed trailers and stuff so he could look back and see it. So that's how I learned to back. So, yep. um, you know, and so, so you had to, you so, had to do it like I did. You had to relearn. Yeah, I did. I had to relearn. So I don't know. It's probably I mean, how to five. use, how to use your mirror. mirrors. Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How to use mirrors. So like four or five years ago, like I finally told myself, I'm like, cause you know, we get to the boat ramp and you know, and you know, I drive a, a smaller truck, so it's not 
you know, no, no big deal to just look over your shoulder. But, you know, if you look, you know, a lot of these new trucks and stuff with the camper shells on them and, you know, and the, and the bed covers and all that, you can't look behind you and see the, and see anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, and the guys always gave me shit about it. Like, you know, you know, having to look over my shoulder. They said I was, um, you know, what is a greenhorn? Um, but so I just, just told myself, I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm not over looking over my shoulder again. So I just started using my mirrors and, and, um, but that's a bad habit to develop. Mm-hmm. You know? I started with, I started doing the same thing. And once oh. I started putting toppers on my trucks about yeah. eight or nine years ago, I had to switch. And the first few times you do it, you're kind of frustrated because you were so good at it the other way. And then you can't do it. Yeah. So you sit there and you're trying to basically have to go opposite of how you learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, backing up trailers is definitely. Yeah. I actually have kind of a a funny story to relate to that. So I got, it wasn't one of my first guiding jobs, but one of my first guiding jobs, I was 19 years old and um, it was down in Texas at a place I work for. And I was getting the tour like, welcome. This is what we do, blah, blah, blah. Here's your trailer, full of your decoys. One of the other experienced guides is kind of showing me around. And when I saw that trailer, I gulped heavy and it was like, dun, 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 right? Because as a kid, I don't know, I just never learned how to back a trailer. You know, I, I feel like my dad, I was the youngest in the family and he he just didn't have the time to teach me or something. I don't quite know, but I, I couldn't do it. And I went through a lot of years of my life just avoiding it at all times. And now here I am down in Texas. I was so nervous. Like I say, it was my second guiding job I've ever had. And I was like, shit, I don't like they're They all backed him. Like everyone had their trailer in their spot. Right. And it was pretty tight. So mm-hmm. the next day I went on a hunt and I got put in an awkward situation of like, yeah, just back it in. And I don't remember what I did, but I avoided it. And uh, when all the other guides went back to the guide house or whatever, I snuck back to the lodge in the middle of the afternoon when I know everyone was taking naps and it was quiet and stuff. And for two hours, I worked on backing that trailer up and I was by myself. And so kind of by force, I had to learn how to do that when I was 19 years old. And I just spent the whole <laughs> afternoon just pulling ahead, jackknifing it, pulling ahead, yeah. jackknifing it. And then I just kind of got better and better as, as time went on. And and down in Texas on, on essentially one of my first guiding jobs, I, I had to like emergency teach myself how to do that. Yeah. The one key, should anyone be struggling with backing up, the only thing I would say <clears throat> to solve that problem, to solve it, do not turn the wheel so much. <laughs> no. Yes. Turn the wheel half, turn the wheel half as much as you do. That'll yeah. fix most of your problems. And, yeah. and my hot tip is pull ahead further than you think. Make sure everything's nice and straight <laughs> as you, before you yeah. start. Yeah. That's a good one. Start off and give yourself the best shot that you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, I mean, I, um, back in trailers was never an issue, but as far as, um, you know, grow, growing up in Southern Illinois, like I said, we hunted out of canoes, we goose hunted, you know, like we had a, um, we had a 12 foot John boat with a nine, nine, you know, that we'd puddle, you know, put her across some small water with, but like, you know, so, you know, until I moved down here in the early two thousands, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of, um, experience running boats at all. And, um, kind of like Bill said, you know, like, you know, in the club, you know, I just kind of got to watching how, 
you know, how the other guys did things and, you know, never really said or that I didn't have a whole lot of experience. So I just kind of watched how they did things and, and, um, you know, and just absorbed it all. And, and, um, and that's how I learned to really run a boat. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something to be said about what both of you guys said that you, you didn't get the chances to do it and you made yourself learn <clears throat> that right there, that like wanting to do better and, knowing that there's things that you still want to learn are part of it and making it part of your duck hunting world. Cause I hunted with several people when I was growing up and, and younger that, um, you know, they hunted with, they were similar to age between me and Bill and hunted with us a lot, but yet had no, none of these skills and didn't really ever try to. And it was frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so like when you, have that like they're just they're just there like being a person being a body and not like an active participant in the hunt as much so mm-hmm. yeah. i think like taking that initiative to do that says a lot about like what someone wants to do and kind of how you know how serious you take the thing and more than just a, a hobby or a pastime it's something yeah. that you really care about yeah another example and you that. want and, and you want to be good and also want to be you know known as good at it so mm-hmm. yeah you know and um, I don't, he won't mind me telling this, but I mean, one of my very best friends, Kyle Jones, when he first moved down here, he worked for Higdon, you know, four years ago or whatever, you know, we go down to the river and, you know, he had never run a boat before. And I didn't really think about it, but he's like, man, I grew up goose hunting and all my duck hunting was in small water. So, yeah. but, you know, he was like hammered down, ready to learn. So, you know, we got my boat in the water and I just set my big ass in the front and he looked at me kind of like, what are you doing? I'm like, let's go. You know, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you run into anything, but shoot, you know, here we are a few years later, Kyle's got his own boat, you know, and can back it up and, and, and run it and do whatever, but he just had never been exposed to it. So, I mean, if you're not ever exposed to these things, you're, you know, you know, just have to do it. I mean, I busted his balls about it for a good couple of weeks, but I, you know, I never failed to tell him that, you know, 16, 17, 18 years ago, I was in the same position as he mm-hmm. was. Yeah, believe <laughs> yeah. it or not, no one is born knowing how to run a killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's something that just kind of you come about. So, yeah. And you got to make that initiative. Okay. So I got to cross off on my list boating, motors. I got one thing mixed in with these. Um, I think it comes along with any, even if you just own a boat or a motor, and even if you don't use the dang thing. Um, since they always break, uh, you have to know a little bit of redneck engineering oh. to get, to get your, out, well, get your, keep your, keep your boat running, keep the tires on the key. Well, Phil, I, I want to let you finish, but one of my top ones, my top three, right. Of importance. I'll just quick say is, uh-huh. uh, being mechanical. And if you, yeah. if you don't know, learn, and I've always looked up to you when you built your first boat line, I'm like, wait a minute. So you're uh, welding aluminum. And you're like, yeah. I'm like, when did you learn how to do that? Oh, I just, I just uh, went on YouTube, and and then you had this Christmas tree looking piece of of metal tubing in the corner of your garage of horrible welds, right? <laughs> but as you went down, the welds uh, got better. And so, yeah, sorry, I'm like stepping on your touchdown on this a little no, bit, but fine. to no. be mechanical, I I think to be a complete hunter in general, but for sure waterfaller. Uh, that's super important. And I'm embarrassed to say I got a long way to go on that list. A long way to go. Oh, yeah. 
you deal with so many things. You deal with trucks, yep. taking, changing tires, bearings, um, bearings, your, bearings your trailers. Hey, Phil, do you remember yeah. this? You remember this? Oh, yeah. When I remember I, that. I know exactly what you're well, talking like about. I say, when I first got to South Dakota a few years back, like that first morning. Feels the like, first morning at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, man, I got my diet um, squirt. And, man, I was ready to go. And it feels like, oh, shit. And I'm like, what? I was kind of looking down. And and about that time I heard it, man, we we rolled a dough with a boat. Trailer. A dough, a dough yeah. rolled itself. It ran into the yeah. side of my boat, man. And it completely so like my, came My hard side. Yeah. My hard side blind boat, it ran into the side of the blind. Yeah. And then I watched it get run over through my through my mirror. I watched it get run over by the trailer tire. And we and this sucked because even though we didn't need to be in a hurry, you know, it's still morning and we we were. And I remember I'm like, oh great, first morning. And we pulled over and the when we opened the door, what was the first thing you smelled? Oh yeah. Burn rubber like burning rubber. crazy. Yep. I'm like, oh no. And so we um we ended up like I just had to rip the rip the um wheel well off. And then I think we didn't have to it did bend the axle because by the end of that season it was all messed up. Yeah. But I, think I, got, we had, okay. I think we had to take that wheel because that wheel well was plastic and it completely just just like oh, it, yeah. it. So it we just, just had it, to we just had to grab some wrenches and it broke the plastic, and then I had to get under and take the metal yeah. part off, like the bracket. I got a quick – now that you bring that up, I have a really quick – this is, like, the perfect situation for that. Um, so this is last season. I was hunting in a spot, pretty remote boat access, and it's not a real nice road. And I was with two other guys, and they, we hunted out of my boat, and we loaded my boat up. And pulled it up out of the deal, set it on the thing. I didn't really look to make sure it was centered in the boat real well. And we get going, and all of a sudden, I get a boat. Well, it was Keith Allen and his dad. And I get a phone call from Keith driving behind me. And I'm like, hmm, this can't, this is, seems weird. He'd be calling me right now. And he goes, hey, bud, you might want to pull over. We, we're smelling rubber. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So we pull over. Sure as shit, my boat was on the trailer too far over to the one side mm. to the, it'd be the left side. So it'd be the driver's side it was over too far. No, it was the other way. It was the other way. And we needed to pull it to the left. Mm-hmm. So we were in the middle of this gravel road. No, you know, we don't have no come alongs, no winch, no nothing. And it's a narrow road and I can't really go any further. Cause it, I mean, you could see where it worn the tire down. So I'm like, Oh man, so we tried a few things like backing into the ditch and getting on an angle so we could push it, you know, like all three of us rock it over. We couldn't do that. Um, we tried. That always seems like hooking. such a good idea and it never works. Well, this boat, I mean, the boat just, it's heavy. So we weren't yeah. about to do that. And then we hooked a rope and pulled, hooked it up to my the edge of my boat, the back of my boat, um, hooked up to a, a strap or a, a tie off thing on Keith's truck. And he put his truck at an angle and put the tension on that rope. Then we did the same thing and that didn't work. And then out of nowhere, a truck comes, pulls up and he goes, you guys need some help. And lo and behold, he had a, um, like a backhoe on a trailer. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is the luckiest thing I've ever seen. 
and we we're like, uh, yeah. So we took that same rope and he didn't even have to get his backhoe off of the trailer, move the backhoe around, took the bucket, grabbed my rope, lifted it up just a teeny bit. We pushed it over, let the thing go. And he just didn't have to like, didn't have to even take the chains off of his backhoe. And we're like, that was easy. Oh took my off God. And he left. Yeah. I mean, there was like a sign from the heavens. Yeah. That's so. pure luck right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pure luck. So, yeah, but anyways, like the whole mechanical thing, I mean, like even that little deal, like, you know, that yeah. could have been a, a, a roadblock in a lot of cases and you just keep trying stuff and figure out something that works and, yeah. and then you get really lucky. So yeah. it's funny you said that about the redneck ingenuity. Cause like, you know, and I'm the guy, like if you're out there, like, and something happens more than likely, I've got what it takes to fix it in my boat and, and can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got, you know, I, I keep a, a box in there and I've got everything from um, tie strap or from zip ties to, to, duct, to, tape. to duct tape fuses. fuses. Um, I've got, you know, I've got different gauges of wire. Like I say, I mean, typically, you know, motor, you know, I, we run fairly new outboards. So, you know, motors issues like, you know, fuel and, and spark plugs and all that stuff's usually not a big, but you know, all the time when you're out in the, when you hunt the river and, and backwaters and stuff there's you're always needing to have to to conjure something up you might not be able to call someone yeah exactly and i mean i more times than not i can always figure a way to get us out of a pickle or or do something just based on you know and i've got i just keep a you know i bought from war eagle's got these little um metal dry boxes you know because i I took the big dry you know i've got a 1650 triton and I took yep. the big box out just because, you know, we like to haul space. decoys and you know, space and all that. So, but War Eagle makes us, you know, it's a smaller one. And you'd be surprised what I can fit into that thing. Like, oh, yeah, same. You know, extra clothes. Yes. Like, I got an extra gas hose. It, yeah, absolutely. Like, everything. You yeah. know, I, you never, like, it'd be one thing if you hunted, like, you know, the like little lake that's got houses on it. And yeah. Yeah jump up on shore and walk to someone's house. But, you know, I might be, I might be a long ways away from a house or, or maybe not even be able to get to shore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you gotta be able to at least fix I mean, most problems I mean, you can't fix everything, but you know, like yeah. a major mechanical meltdown of your motor, you're not going to fix. No, but it's not hard to acquire that basic mechanical knowledge. And again, you got to have the want to, like we talked about in the mm-hmm. beginning, yeah. you know, like, and, I, and again, when I talk about mechanical, I have so much work to do on that. You know, I really do. And luckily with this day and age with YouTube, it's if, mm-hmm. if you want to be a complete waterfaller, uh, start teaching yourself that crap, man. Figure yeah. out how an outboard runs, figure out trailers and, wow. and your equipment because you're going to be fixing, building, modifying, like it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. The more you use the stuff, the more it's going to break. That's just how it works. I mean, I remember as um, in college, you know, I was probably 19, 20 years old. You know, we was in Arkansas and, and, and you know, we shared a pin. You know, this is before, this is before iPhones. Yeah. This is before, you know, and fortunately, like before we went, I thought, you know what, I'm going to put a new prop in there. I'm going to put a new pin and all that. So like, you know, sitting out in the middle of the Black River in Arkansas, like in the dark, you know, like I was able to change the prop and, and, and all that and, put a new pin in the, and get going. But like, you know, a lot of that stuff's not hard. You just have to, to you just have to, yeah, you, just you just have to educate yourself on, on what it is. And also too, and, and you have to, 
know the things that are could possibly go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, like sharing a pin, you know, and, and stopping up the pisser on your motor and how to yep. clear that out. Cause you know, that, you know, you get four or five miles back in the woods and, you know, you overheat the motor, you know, you're in for a, uh, you know, long walk out, long mm-hmm. walk out. So or a long float back down to the next boat launch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, but yeah, it's definitely something that, um, yeah, that's definitely something that you need to know how to do just basic okay. stuff. Yeah. Basic stuff. All right, Ryan, you're up. What's your next one? Oh, what have I got? Um, I think one of the biggest things is understanding the migration, you know, yeah. like, and that's something that, you know, and, and when you, when you live this, you know, lifestyle of a, of a duck hunter 24 seven, like you kind of take it for granted. You just think that's common knowledge that, but you know, it's, it's really not, um, you know, the more I read Facebook, you know, the, the more I realize that, you know, so many guys have such a minuscule understanding of, of the migration, you know, yeah. what, and when I say the migration, I'm like, what all factors into it, you know? And I, you know, and I, I just, you know, I hate to beat this drum, but man, it, it's, it's more than just flooded corn that keeps it, that makes a duck migrate, mm-hmm. you know? Um, there's just a lot. There's just a ton of factors. There are just, and I say, just understanding the migration, you know, of knowing when, um, you know, like what species, you know, the time of the, you know, times of the year that, you know, they'll normally migrate whether they're early or late migrants. Um, uh, when I say understanding the migration too, cause you know, I mean, our season doesn't start until Thanksgiving, but daggum come September one, you know, I mean, you know, I watch, I look at the weather every day of the year, but, you know, come September 1, you know, I mean, that's when I really start to follow the migration of, you know, and, um, you know, I can usually in, at the, around the 1st of October, you know, if, you know, you know, I see, um, you know, the conditions right when I'm looking at the weather, you know, I can usually time it within two days, you know, you know, I can step out back at night and pretty much tell you when I'm going to hear specs flying over at midnight. Mm-hmm you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I just think that being in tune with what's going on, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're going to be a more successful hunter if you understand the migration, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you only get so many days to go, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're going to have a lot more success if you can look at the weather and, and have paid attention to the weather. Like, and I'm not talking about just looking at the weather and, in Western Kentucky and Northwest Tennessee and Southeast Missouri and Southern Illinois. I mean, when I look at the weather, you know, I scan it all the way from, all the way from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, all the way to to Grand Forks, North Dakota, to, to, um, you know, Sioux Falls, to, you know, I mean, I have like, you know, several points that I check in between to looking at the, what the weather is in those areas. And, you know, and I'll look at that stuff, um, you know, several times a day just that and and on top of looking at the weather you know always looking at river stages i'll look at the river stages all the way up to the the missouri river the arkansas river to the uh, mississippi river and um you know a lot of that just just factors in and um you know and understanding why when and how birds migrate you know you're gonna you're gonna be a more successful duck hunter waterfowler and overall Mm -hmm. waterfowler 
And, and it helps you just, it just makes you like more educated on the birds and too. Yeah. I mean, it's like someone that <clears throat> is like a deer hunter, knowing what kind of tree he's sitting in. It doesn't necessarily help that him shoot a deer, but yeah. it just kind of makes you a better woodsman and makes you feel a little more in tune with what's happening. Yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. I like and, that I can, kind of stuff. and I can promise you, if I took you deer hunting, we have a very small chance of killing a deer. you know it's just not my gig and and, yeah and all the little things that deer hunters you know they think are common knowledge you know they they live and breathe it you know i don't live and breathe it so i have no idea yeah Um, yeah it's just different all different aspects of everything really yeah absolutely it's a whole different game all right bill what do you got um i might switch it up just a little bit Uh, uh when i was doing this list well, two things. One, I was envisioning myself in a lot of field hunting situations because I know you guys are going to cover ducks so hard, you know, but this mm-hmm. goes into both. But I was using like a lot of, um, how do I say it? Like I was thinking about the mental part of the hunts, you know, and and a big one for me is uh, foresight. And what I mean by that is, again, we're into this conversation of complete waterfowler. And often I use it as, as like, well, who are other guys that i really look up to right and a common ability i see in a lot of them is really good foresight meaning you pull up to a point in your boat or you're driving out to the field and it's dark and it's a confusing time or anything to have the foresight and an understanding of what's going to take place this morning you know like okay the wind's out of this direction and there's better cover here or less cover there so what should we do in this hunting situation? Does that make sense? Like being able to predict how this hunt yeah, is probably going to go, you know, and being analytical about yeah, it. Yeah. Being analytical, just having that true foresight. Cause like I say, I've hunted with some dudes over the years that it's like, they know, they know exactly what's going to happen. And Ryan, you probably are really good with that. Uh, having a good understanding of, you know, you're familiar with the spots you hunt. Um, and, but the foresight can factor into a spot you've hunted a hundred times or a spot you've never hunted before, but just to have a good understanding of how this is probably going to play out, I think is such an important piece in, in being a waterfowler. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and I'll give you a prime example of that. Like last year in Canada, you know, the, the area of Western Saskatchewan that we go to was, was, um, rather dry comparatively speaking to how it had been for several years but you know there was one roost that was holding a shit pile of birds Mm -hmm. and surprisingly you know like you know i don't know it it could be more common where you're all at but but we don't get too many east winds down here like yeah we don't either you know and and this day we were scouting there was an east wind so you know all the ducks were on the west side of this lake so you know so a guy, you know, beat us to getting permission to where, well, he went to, the, there was more than one area to hunt, you know, uh, you know, around this area, but, you know, he chose to hunt where all the ducks were mm-hmm. that day. And, you know, there was enough ducks on this roost that like, so, you know, we put our heads together and we thought, well, I mean, shit, he, you know, why, why is he going there like, tomorrow? It's supposed to be a you know, a North wind, we need to be on the South side, not on the West, not on the West side. Mm-hmm. So lo and behold, we got permission to hunt his field on this, on, on the South side instead mm-hmm. of the West side. And, you know, I don't know if that, I don't know if that crew ever, ever fired a shot that morning. Right. 
you know, but we had the foresight to see that, you know, he was, you know, he got permission to hunt the West side because like, that's where all the ducks were right there. And, you know, and it was going to be down in a little ravine and all that. And, you know, so we thought, man, we'll be, we'll be golden. You know, if we can get where we want to go, it's going to be a North wind. We'll go to the South side and, you know, but that right there is one of those, you got to have the foresight to, you know, and to understand, um, you know, the, I would call all that <clears throat> hunting. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, I mean, honestly, like it sounds funny and it sounds simple, but like that is the thing. Like you're like, you're taking everything and like incorporating it into like this, you know, this brain that is a, grew up as a, a hunting tool and trying to figure out how it best to make it work, given what you know and what's going to happen and your experiences in the past. And like, I think mm-hmm. that, is exactly why why like you know we like to freelance and we like to be the ones that do yes, it because absolutely i mean like i enjoy though that part of it almost as much as the actual hunt like and then and then when you combine planning and all that part with the hunt and it's successful like it's the culmination of everything that you know i like in a hunt so yeah kind of absolutely and it just makes it so much sweeter at the end of the at the end yep. of the hunt when when everything comes together and, you know, and everybody always says, man, we were just lucky this morning. Like, no, actually we probably weren't lucky. Like, you know, like, you know, they always say what's luck is consists of, you know, knowledge and, and preparation, knowledge and preparation come together. Like, but I mean, we weren't lucky that morning. Like we used our, you know, what we just used our experience, you you know, how, and yeah. Yeah. There's always a little bit of luck in a duck hunt, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely control that luck. You can, yeah, so. and some of the best dudes I hunted yeah. with, they just they have that foresight. They know uh, this obstacle is in the field, and that's going to throw their flight off coming into you. Or I don't know, Phil, you're really good about that stuff. You pay super close attention. You're always thinking about the sun. I always think that's yeah. interesting because I'll be like, "Well, this hide's good enough, right?" And you're like, "Yeah," at the beginning of the morning, but not later in the day when we really, uh, you know, are banking on our hunt being successful. The sun's going to be up here, and then all of a sudden, I'll start looking at the sky because again, you're in that chaos <laughs> moment of we have 45 yeah. minutes to mm-hmm. get set up. The clock is ticking, and all of a sudden, I'll look at the sky, and I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. Oh, the sun's going to come right in here. Yeah, we better move yeah. the boat to the other side, you know, or, or whatever yeah. it may be." But Man, I'm working on it. I think I'll work on that till the day I die. But I hope to always like move that bar up and and create, yeah. in, you know, knowing what what's gonna probably happen. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. <laughs> you know, and I dig that. Part. that that's <laughs> that's that's great. And like I said, that's one thing that like one reason I mean I've always respected and appreciated, um, you know, Phil is a waterfowler because, like, I mean, I, I've always thought that he was a lot like myself. Like, um, you know, like the little details and, and just, um, and I just, you know, I picked up on so much of that when I come out there and hunting with you. It's like, man, like, you know, you just pay attention to, like, you know, well, you know, if somebody new comes and hunts with us, you know, like, they might say, man, why do you hunt, you know, face and east with the sun in your eyes? Well, you know, it, it, it's not the most comfortable thing to do. It's kind of how we have to, but, but in all reality we do, it's cause you know, the sun's going to hit our decoys first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and, that the, and, and that's what we want. And, um, 
you know, and very few times, like, you know, well, well, I hunt till dark or something in the afternoon because, you know, we're, you know, facing east, you know, after it gets, you know, after two o'clock, you know, unless there's a good front coming through and birds are real aggressive and, you know, and, and very active, you know, I'm not going to hunt because, you know, the sun's at my, you know, sun's at my back and, you know, the sun's not on the decoys. Yeah. You know, just, you're hidden better, but there, yeah. there you don't stick the, yeah. Decoys don't stick. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. That's all that little stuff is just fun little pieces. It's like a puzzle. You're putting yep. a puzzle exactly. together every time you put a hunt together and yeah, I dig that. All right, Phil, yeah, you're that's on. Good one. That's, a, that's a real good one, Bill. Yeah. All right. Um, this one's more mechanics of the hunt, but, um, one, I think a person should be efficient on a duck call or a goose call, but I think it goes beyond that. Um, and it, maybe it can go beyond calling, but just hunting all of the species of ducks. Mm-hmm. Like, Cross, particularly, crossing that off my list. Like I particularly don't have an interest in shooting every one of the, the ducks. Um, it just doesn't appeal to me. I don't really care to shoot, you know, some of the sea ducks or, if I don't shoot a cinnamon teal ever, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. But um, I think, you know, a lot of, like, kind of got to before, like a lot of dudes, they're duck hunting. I know a lot of guys who probably kill, their group probably kills thousands of ducks a year, but they'd have a hard time identifying any one of the diver species. Yeah, especially hens. Anything, yeah, anything other than a mallard, a pintail, or a widgeon. Mm-hmm. They'd have a hard time. Like, I think that is important, like knowing and having a at least a broad um, knowledge of all the the duck species, and then so when you're hunting and being able to, to blow these other calls, I mean, you know, everybody can blow a mallard call, and most everybody can blow a goose call now, but you got crane calls, and you got all the whistles, mm-hmm. and you got speck calls, um, speck calls, big Canada's, little Canada's, yeah. So I think like I think just that calling being able to blow up one of those calls is, is kind of like something that was one of the things I always wish that I would have done mm-hmm. or had a I, I've been, I can blow every, almost any call, even now an elk call a decent Turkey. And I, I wish that there would have been, I think they're getting to where they are. Some of these now is like an all game calling contest where they, mm-hmm. you got to blow everything. Like, I think that'd be kind of fun. Hell that yeah. just shows that there's a person as a wall around and I wouldn't, do phenomenal in it but it would be fun like it'd be something very cool mm-hmm. and i don't think you'd probably get like quite the maybe maybe it's not that way now but quite the egos that you did mm-hmm. back in the day because someone was so specialized at something that they banked everything that they had on how good of a goose caller they were now if you just did that it'd be fun but i do think calling and just knowing and hunting all of those species is at least in general is important i mean and i'm the first sec i've never sea duck hunted and I'll probably do it at some day. Um, if I don't, you know, I'm not yeah. going to sweat it, but it is definitely a huge part of the hunting community. And I mean, and those dudes are hunting way different conditions than I ever would. I don't know how to, you know, I don't run with tides and I don't deal with all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, just, and I kind of, I mean, my category there covers like a ton, mm-hmm. but I think it, it's, it does. I don't know don't need to say discuss it a ton but right that was yeah um, like it yep all right what's up ryan i think one of the big things that um you know that i think of being you know an experienced waterfowler is being a humble waterfowler um mm-hmm. 
you know, not gloating, you know, like, you know, and, you know, and I don't know if I'm being the old grouchy guy, you know, the, the tells everybody to get off his lawn or whatever, but like, you know, just, you know, like one of the things that irritates me, you know, if you're hunting public ground and, 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 you know, you're going to be seeing a lot of people and, you know, and making sure all the ducks are on the bow of your boat when you get up there to the mm-hmm. boat ramp, you know, like, you know, stuff like that, like, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, to me, it's just, just be humble. Um, you know, be humble. You know, it, it it's not a competition. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's keeping score. Um, you know, don't brag. I think a lot of that comes with it comes with age and experience as people get. I think what I think about that is a lot of the people who are truly good are going to tend to not be the ones that do that. Yeah, because I mean, I don't I, for someone who does like it isn't a huge deal to go shoot a limit of greenheads, so they're not going to worry about making sure that everybody knows it. In fact, they're going to probably want you to not think they did it. So yeah. That, not trying to track you down so i think those kind of go hand in hand well and being and, being humble too i feel like helps your education because maybe if you just keep your goddamn mouth shut and listen to this other person or this group you know and don't be you know just be more humble uh all of a sudden you'll be like yeah they are right and then boom another point in your education or your experience yeah mm-hmm, just another sure. just another feather in your cap that mm-hmm. of of, of you know, another tool in your box, you know, just, just knowledge. And to go along with the humbleness, I think just, just respecting the, the, just respecting the, the bird or the resource, you know, I, yeah. you know, there was um, somebody last year, I don't remember who it was on Instagram, but it was, you know, one of the, the, you know, the cliche Instagrammers, like, you know, after the hunt, they videoed them, like all throwing the birds all up in the air, like in, in celebratory uh, fashion. Yuck. I'm just like, you know, act like you've done this before. Act like you've, yeah. been, you know, act like you've been there before. Like, yeah, I don't that, that's like it. That I mean, that right there, like it, it turned that turned my stomach pretty good. Like, like you know, then a quicker uh, way for me to want to unfollow someone on yeah. social media than I see that kind of stuff. I just you know, I can't stand it. Then throwing a dead mallard back and forth like it's a football or playing pitch and catch, yeah. like you know. But then like how. Like, how do you not have the foresight to see that that's not ethical or that's not, you know, yeah, just not right. Mm-hmm. That's just not right. Whether it's ethical or not. I don't know, but whether it's a good choice to make, and then especially to record it, not. Yeah. And I say, I, and I mean, that's just me, but I mean, media brings that out. I mean, it brings out a lot of that because the people didn't, I mean, not that people probably didn't throw a duck around before, but, like it wasn't, I mean, so many dumb things happen because of social media. I mean, yeah. How many people get hurt in a year because of social media that they're doing something stupid for the camera or they jump off or something? Or, yeah. You know. Ugh, I'm not God, saying that, you know, we might not ever be at the duck at the ramp and you're at the back of your boat and I'm at the front and there's a, and you're putting birds on the strap and, and there's a, and, there, and you know, and I toss you one. I'm not talking about like that, but like. That's different. Just That's entirely different. Absolutely. So just. Playing a game with them. Exactly. So, I mean, it. it if you're going to be a, a, you know, an all-around waterfowler, I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, to appreciate the resource, to, yeah. to respect the resource, and and 
And I don't feel like, like you say, I don't feel like anybody that does that stuff is somebody that's done this stuff very long. So if you haven't done this stuff very long, then obviously you're, yeah, you know, I would agree. but I would agree with that. But as far sure. as being humble too, I also think is, is, is being able and being willing to help others, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, you know, I mean, I definitely don't know everything, you know, I feel like I'm pretty well rounded and, and, could get myself out of any situation, probably be successful in most situations. But I mean, I don't know everything. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. Sometimes you don't get to set decoys. You got to brush the blinds and that's fine. That's just part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, And like, it's a group effort. Yeah. All right, Bill. Um, because I could talk about this all day, I'm going to start lumping some of this stuff together. That's close to each other. Um, when I get to my round here, we're going to just do state them quick, quick. And then we're going to go. Cause we're about an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I just don't know which one to choose. I think I'm going to go with, um, I'm picking in my list. Dang it. Okay. You so guys, this- you guys, you guys have chiseled my list down pretty good. So, <laughs> so this, this, whether you are going to Canada, hunting down in Arkansas, Hunting right here in Minnesota, Dakotas, Montana, any of that stuff, right? Um, Being good at, and I won't explain it in detail, but being good at getting permission, respecting landowners, whether that be right in the moment of permission or throughout the course of the year, understanding agriculture and agricultural practice, I think really makes a complete waterfowler. Like those three together, right? Because to get permission... Before I do, I go take a look at the because at least up here in Minnesota, when we're really getting after ducks and geese, it's right in the heart of harvest, you know. And you need to understand that first and foremost. And mm-hmm. there are situations where don't bother that farmer; you're not getting that field, okay? Because they are <laughs> yeah. been grinding for forty eight hours. And why do I know that? Because I understand agriculture and agricultural practice, you know. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm taking a bunch of mine and putting them all into one. Yeah, no, I think that's all super true. If you make that farmer turn his tractor off, stop and turn his tractor off. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine that too many times you're going to get a positive response. Mm-hmm. Wait till he's filling filling a grain bin, and then maybe you got five minutes yeah. of his time. Yeah, and yeah, be that's, res- a good, that's a good time to hit him and be respectful, like you know, like. And be courteous and ask them, you know, ask, ask them how the farm is going. How far are they in the harvest? <laughs> you know, strike up conversation. So it's not just, you're just looking for something, you know? Yep. Yeah. That's great. Take, take, take. Yeah. And All right, I'm going to do the same. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say also too, on Bill's part, like, you know, like say knowing your agriculture, you know, if I see some, some ducks, you know, swarming over a field in Canada and you know, they might be a good mile out there. Like, I'm probably not going to go set up in the, you know, it might look like they're over a canola field, but I'm probably not going to go set up in a canola field the next morning. You know, yeah. And see, that you know? that's kind of what I mean. Like a complete waterfowler knows what canola is, what peas are, what corn is, what soybeans are, what uh, yeah. the difference between wheat and oats. Like, again, I, I need to work on all this. I don't have an agricultural background, but a waterfowler needs to understand the, these birds' food source. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, I'm going to do a little bit of the um, clumping things up here, too. Yeah. Um, okay, so these two, I think, go hand in hand. Is I mentioned, I alluded to it earlier, is duck identification. 
I think you should be able to identify ducks at a distance on the wing, sitting, mm-hmm. um, whatever, whatever form they're in. I think you should be able to identify most species of ducks. And there's going to be a lot of people who say, oh, I only shoot this. Well, it's great. But I think, you know, as a well-rounded waterfowler, a guy should be able to do that. doesn't mean you're not hardcore if you can't, but just means you're not an all-around duck hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with that, it's because part of it is legal is the other part, I was going to say, is understanding the laws. Um, and that's the son of a gun because there's a lot of them. And I've had some conversations here kind of recently with a few guys off of like Facebook and Instagram that were just getting started into hunting. And I'm like, man, it has got to be so intimidating to look at that rule book, uh, like for any given state and then the federal Mm -hmm. guidelines and whether it's, I mean, whether it's freaking squirrel hunting or duck hunting, which is probably duck hunting, waterfowl hunting is probably one of the most rule intensive things and to learn those laws and to know them and to abide by them is, is tough. And I think, you know, that's something that to know them and to like, whether it's limits, shooting times, places you can and can't hunt this thing or that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the consequences of breaking and the consequences of breaking them are high. Might, mm-hmm. Yeah. Might, might you be know, so, so, so exactly. I mean, so that could be very intimidating. You know, you could be using your grandpa's shotgun. You know, and, and you were using your grandpa's shotgun. Exactly. Right. You know, when you go out and you screw up and you got the wrong guy, you know, your grandpa's never going to see a shotgun again. You're never going to see your grandpa's shotgun again. Yep. You know, not good. So, Ryan, right. Ryan, I don't know how you are, but when I hunt with Phil, it's almost embarrassing um, with duck identification. We hunt in a lot of spots with multiple species. And Phil, you school me all the time and you make me strive to be better at that duck identification. I mean, I can always yeah. be like, I'm really good at like divers, you know, teal, mallards, pintails, yeah. but Phil schools me. I'll be like, uh, others, I don't know, divers, I think. And Phil will be like, no, uh, golden eyes, you know, or what the fuck? Those are wood ducks. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> what? It, Phil, you're amazing at that. It, and that's, what, well, that's yeah. what I'm striving to be better at. Yeah. You got to figure out how many hours I sit in the marsh. Yeah. And and, but I was good at it when I was little too. I used to sit at Loon Lake, man, and just watch ducks down there when I was little. So you can identify them a long ways away. Yeah, yeah, and I say, and I've always been, you know, duck identification's never been a, a problem area for me. But, um, you know, I, you know, so, sometimes you know you might have a immature bluebill hen or a redhead hen. You might mm-hmm. cobble you up or something. But, tough. but. That, tricky ones. That would be about the the gist of that might stump me on that. But another thing too is being able to identify birds on the wing, you know, mm-hmm. in the air in, and, and knowing. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. In, when yeah. you're flying by, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what you're good at. Phil. That's what you're way good yeah, at. Oh, okay, I mean. okay, that's what. Okay, oh, yeah. I mean, that's something. Yeah, like, I am good at it because yeah, you know, I spend so much time looking at these things, and and in the spring I get to see like every yeah. kind of duck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just in the fall. We see less but in the spring. I mean, I'm yeah. seeing everything, and it, it sure makes a big difference. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, who can identify them in the dang hand? Yeah, birds in the hand. But I thought Bill was talking about in the hand. No, no. Yeah. No so that's kind of why I was like, "Damn, Bill!" But <laughs> no, yeah, no, on the wing. No, I've thought, had to. I've yeah. had to tell game wardens before that when they've asked. I think I've said this story before, but when you pull up somewhere and you have a couple of gadwalls and and you have like a hen mallard and they think you shot 
over your him out of them. Like, yeah, no. This is a gadwall. You see the wing patch, the bill. Feet are different color. Yeah, they're not the same duck, dude. Yeah. I remember when I was in, you know, I did my college internship at a state waterfowl area in Illinois. And um, part of it, you know, I had to work the check station in the oh, afternoons. Right. And um, somebody had shot some white wing surf scoters. Oh. You know, and um, I knew exactly what they were. Yep. And, um, but you know, the, 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 the people that normally work the counter, you know, they had, they had no idea. And, um, you no. know, just last year, um, some of my buddies, they shot a, um, they shot an immature hen old squall in Kentucky Lake. Hmm. And, um, you know, and they kind of knew what it was, but, you know, they sent it to me to confirm, but like, I think if you just look at bills, you know, just, just the bills, bills and, and wings, bills and wings. I mean, it's hard to. You know, the master method. Yeah. You know, I had you a, can look at if you got a bird in hand and you can see their bill and you can see their speculum that you should be able to identify them from just that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I had a guy last year. I'm not going to say he's a friend. I'll say he's more of an, a, just somebody I know or an acquaintance, but he always talked about wanting to shoot a golden eye. Well, you know, he sent me a picture. He's like, man, I finally got my, my golden eye, but it's a hen. Oh no. And it was a oh, buff. It was, it was a buffle head. <sighs> <laughs> like so I mean it's not even yeah. really yeah. Uh, alright Ryan so what's up man honestly you guys have like pretty much went through oh. um, I'll go because there's one I really want to get out but I do have one do more oh I do go have ahead one sorry. More. sorry Ryan I was going to say is is support waterfowl organizations yeah yep, that's you good know, conservation stuff you know what I mean I might not agree with every little thing that that ducks unlimited or something does, but by God, you know, they're for the ducks and, you know, and, and come hell or high water, I'm going to support them. Um, yeah. If we don't have habitat, I don't care where you live. You're yeah. not going to have ducks. And you know, when so. I get, and, and I'll have so many people say to me like, what in the hell does ducks unlimited do in, in Georgia, Georgia. And like, <sighs> Well, the ducks don't breed in Georgia. Yeah, right? or or what have the what, what's Ducks Unlimited done in Southwest Kentucky, in Northwest Tennessee, in Southeast Missouri, and you know, like you know, their whole goal is conserving, breeding habitat, yeah. raising and, ducks. And something people don't understand is, you know, Ducks Unlimited is not a duck hunting organization, right? No, you know, they're pro duck hunting. They're pro but they're not, exactly. They're, they're not like yeah. where Delta does both. Yeah. Delta is conservation and pro hunting exactly but i am a lot more worried about you know acre land. land and breeding grounds and so you know every year you know i sub you know i i donate to ducks unlimited delta i, I even both. and i even donate to the um the california waterfowl association i mean i'm yeah and you know and i'll tell you why is like i've done my research on them and they are a hell of a group you know i mean they have lobbyists you know, fighting for our, our gun rights in DC and, and all that. And just because they're a, a California based group, I mean, we all, no matter where we're at in this country, I mean, we really benefit from the, what the California waterfowl association. Really? Means. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, they're real, they're a very strong group. I mean, the California's got a lot of duck. Yeah. That I do know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and that's something I didn't realize as a, as a kid was, the amount of duck, you know, to me, I didn't know people duck hunted outside of Southern Illinois. Yeah, um, but, but I said the California Waterfowl Association, I mean, I mean, they've got their shit together and I mean, they're a, they're a good organization. Yeah. 
So. Conservation groups are a huge thing. Yeah. And I All right, Bill. All right. So it's my last one. I'm going to cluster them up again and then i'll kind of on that's three words right but i think they kind of are all real powerful in the sport and the last one i'll explain just a bit more but anyway patience open-mindedness and confidence now patience is obvious like you just need to be patient what's my favorite saying stick and stay make them pay mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah, what i mean and that's what i mean by patience open-mindedness just whether it be that that just goes in a lot of aspects of it, calling decoys, how you set up, all that stuff. And then confidence, mm-hmm. I think, is super important. Cocky, no, you don't want that at all. But confidence, mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by confidence is you don't need more decoys. You did pick the right spot. Flocking or fancy calling did not make or break this hunt. And uh, uh, just go. Like, who cares how you do? Just be confident mm-hmm. in yourself and, yeah. and just go. Um, but patience, open-mindedness and, and, and confidence, uh, as far as making a complete waterfall hunter, the, the guys that I know that are good, they're all super patient and they're pretty confident. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I agree. as far as confidence goes, Kelly Powers has always said it best. If you're going to be, if you're going to be wrong, be confidently wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, like, yeah. and if you think about that, like, you know, that's what he tells his employees that, um, you know, like. You know, yes. like these binoculars, I have this in them. Yeah, or just, or just have confidence in what you're talking yeah. about. If you're wrong, yeah. you know everybody's going to be wrong about stuff. But just have confidence. <laughs> if you got confidence, you know, confidence will carry you a long ways in life. Mm-hmm. So that's what you know, he always says. Sure. He's like, if you're going to be wrong, be confidently wrong. <laughs> be wrong with confidence, Funny. knowing yep. that knowing that if you yeah. knowing if you were wrong, it's not because you didn't try. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I like it. So, I got a few more. I'm just going to throw them out. I'm not even going to discuss them, but I'm just going to throw them up. And if you agree, yay. If you don't, nay. Uh, wild game cooking mm-hmm. should be something that a person learns. And I've just recently kind of come into that. Uh, firearm safety, general knowledge of firearms. Yeah. Same goes with shot cells I would put into there. Kind of, and with that uh, range estimation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't shoot over your partner's heads. That's good stuff. Yep. Yep. Oh and yeah, yeah. Don't. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Which would be safety. Um, and the last one I have is isn't like anything crazy. Um, but I think you got to be a little bit of a gearhead to be a duck hunter because mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, it's a, it kind of wears off a little bit at some point. But man, like, I don't know anybody who doesn't still you know, really wait for the max catalog or the final flight catalog or. Yeah, whatever. Someone, someone's special fall event to see all the new stuff. So, hey, what's solid. Phil Conkey always says? You know, I told him last year I bought an old duck boat. And I wasn't sure why I bought it, and Phil says a man oh, can never yeah. have enough boats. <laughs> no, <laughs> you never have enough. Boats. I don't know how no. many times you've told me that, but you know, you're right. I, you can never have enough boats. Nope, twenty <laughs> isn't even enough. Cause it's always the circumstance where you're going to need something else that you didn't yeah. think you needed. So. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can, I'll, I'll never lose that argument, I promise. Yeah. So, cool. I, do you guys have anything else left that you want to throw out quick? Honestly, the last one I had was going to say was um, just firearm safety. Yeah. You know, yeah. and just knowing to shoot your lanes and knowing that if you shoot over somebody's head that, you know, you're going to affect their hearing. And, and, and you're but, probably not invited back. <laughs> 
Yeah, probably not. But hey, and the thing about that is when it comes to ringing ears, like if you hunt with more than a couple people or hunt in a pit situation or like, you know, ringing's going to happen from time to time. It's, Mm -hmm. it's how severe the ringing is. You know, I mean, I've had it done to me twice in the last, I don't probably the last eight years where, I mean, I literally thought I was shot. And both times I've done it is when I'm was hunting with people that I didn't have, I didn't know them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, so that's why I'm just always, um, uh, I know, I'm pretty skittish of who I like to hunt with. <laughs> yeah. Small group. Yeah. And that's why, like, I, that's why I always, you know, give guys like Bill, you know, props for doing the guiding thing and all that, because man, I just, I've d- did a little bit of it in college and, and a little bit in Chicago, you know, goose guiding and, and it's just not for me. <laughs> I got rung a lot. That's for sure. Very aware of yeah. unsafe circumstances. I know that. Uh, and, you know, we can, I'll share this one little story real quick, but like when I knew that it wasn't for me is that when I got out in this field and, you know, North of McHenry, Illinois, and I get out there and, and all four of my hunters that I was taking with me, did not speak English. They all spoke Russian. Ooh, interesting. And I thought, and I thought, man, oh, thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah, this just isn't for me. And um, yeah, well, you can't communicate the rules, safety guidelines. Yeah. Right. No, no, too many things can go wrong in that situation. Yep. So, it just I mean, isn't. So when I, something goes wrong with a gun, a lot of times there's no coming back. Yeah, that's not something. I don't care if it's a mistake or not. You're not getting a second chance. No. Yep. Not good. You so, know, cool. one more fast one I want to say uh, to, yep. to meat eater fans. They'll know I'm stealing this one from Steve Ranella, but being tough with a lot of gur. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not that cold. Yep. It's not that hot. Like, come on, man. We're hunting. Yep. Just be tough being tough i think a complete waterfall hunter i envision him being tough this isn't that cold this isn't that windy it's fine we're hunting man i can promise you if it's happening and it's happening right now i don't care how cold it is you're gonna go i'm you know you're gonna find a way to try to go yeah and 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 I'll tell you, there's many times I've done a lot of, I've went to a lot of extremes and it didn't pay off and there was, didn't have any success, but it was not for the lack of trying. Right. <laughs> and people, some people freak out about the rain so much and stuff. It's like, come on, man, we're duck hunters. Like, yeah. We're going to get yeah. wet this season. We are. Yeah. I don't prefer to hunt in rain just because sure. I have glasses and it's hard to see, but, but, but trust me, it's not going to keep me from going. Right. I'm not going to have as much fun, but I'm going. Yep, definitely. Gotta go. All right. I don't think we're gonna do any of our other specialties. We gotta next time we gotta leave some leave ourselves some time for that again. Yeah. It's been two weeks. Yeah. So um cool. I think next week we're gonna have on our first outside guest again. So Heck we'll announce yeah. them coming up. So that'll be cool. Heck yeah. Drum roll. Add another another voice. So hey, and then I wanna cool. say right. too, Phil, uh those prints that you're selling are pretty cool. That one of the cans, I think I'm going to have to order one of those from you. Are you going to keep doing this or what? Yes, I am. Um, temporarily overwhelmed, actually, or was. Cool. <laughs> off here, 
Um, but yeah, that was, that was cool. I think I've sold like three different ones so far and sold a fair amount of them. And that canvas back one was really popular. Yeah. yeah that, well, one's, gonna have, um, that one's coming off my website pretty soon. Yeah. Which what's, what's been your real quick, what's been your best seller? Like that one, the canvas back one. Mm. I'm basically just trying to sell one print at a time. Yeah. And then I can just focus on that and let people see it and, advertise that and yeah. I'm trying to do it where I don't make, I don't make a ton of money off of it, off of each one. Cause my margins are low. I just want to get prints out there in the world. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, it's kind of cool. So, so hopefully, hopefully I keep doing it as long as I yep. have interest. I will. So. Yeah. I'm going to order one of them from you. Yeah. yeah. More mallards. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't do it. If I, it was me, I'd probably just have all mallards up there. Yeah. I know that people I've got requests for pintails, teal, Oh, yeah. divers! All oh, you name it. So I gotta, I gotta mix up. I gotta share the wealth a little bit. <laughs> I hear you. So, all righty, cool. Well, let's knock this sucker off, and we will uh, catch everybody next week again. All right, all right, guys. guys. All right, catch you guys later. Yep, yeah, bye.